shortly. But Tuesday is Valentine's Day, and the, God's Word tells us that greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friend. John 15, 13. That's a, a great picture of the writing that Paul has been, that we've been discussing in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, and that even goes on through, and he uses... Uh, something that we can relate to in Ephesians chapter 5 when he tells the wives be submission to your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and uh, we're going to talk about that in a few days but what a great picture of God's love for us and how he wooed us to become his children and so we're going to look at that today and um F.F. Bruce, and I think I put this in your notes, points out that this is the great one of the greatest evangelistic summaries of the Bible. It's a very, very familiar passage of Scripture to most of us, and, and sometimes I find it more difficult to preach familiar passages because we, we kind of get the feeling that Everything's already been said that can be said. But you know what? God showed me this not too long ago. We ought to look at every passage of Scripture just like it's the first time that we've looked at it. It ought to be fresh and new because guess what? For somebody, maybe even today, this is the first time you've ever read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8-10. through We take those things for granted. We need to look at God's word from a fresh from a fresh perspective every time we open it. So I want us to look at, uh, again, what is a, a very familiar passage of Scripture about God's gift of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God not of works, lest any should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And there's been, uh, you can get on the internet or look in books, and there has been just a number of pages after page after page of scripture written about this passage of scripture. But I want us to try this morning just to try to just blank out everything we've ever heard and look at it just like it's the first time that we saw it. And I know that's hard to do because we don't have the ability to forget like God does and we don't have the, many of those abilities but uh, try as best you can to think about number one in your notes we're saved we're saved not because of our own merit but it's we're saved by God and by God alone and that's the major focus of this passage it's passage it's the major stress of this passage and we're saved letter a in your notes by God's grace that unmerited favor that uh, uniqueness of God's kindness, the, the favor that he shows despite man's 
undeserving and, and unmerited state that we find ourselves in. God's given us this grace despite the fact that we've cursed Him, we've rejected Him, and we've had hostility, denial, and neglect. And you could go on and on and on about the things that Paul's talked about earlier in these passages of Scripture about how far we were from God. But despite all of those attitudes toward God, we find that His grace is still given. It is giving to people just like you and me, those who do not deserve the gift of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. The only way that, the only way that man can be saved, God's not some far-off God in a distant place who's removed from man and disinterested in man and unconcerned with man's suffering. And the death that we find ourselves in, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 2, or verse 1 and 2, but his goal was to take our sin upon himself so that we might be saved. And that's through his grace and his grace alone. The penalty of sin is death. And that's why we find ourselves in that condition. We're dead already. We have no think about something dead. It has no ability whatsoever to bring life back to itself. It has no ability to breathe or to talk or to hear or to listen or to find or, or touch or smell or any of those senses. It's dead. Paul says that's where we were spiritually. We had no ability to reach out and find God. We had no ability to, to even sense the Spirit of God other than God first pursuing us. That's God's grace. That's God's grace. We are people, as Romans 5, 6 says, listen to this, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We were people, men, women, without strength, ungodly. Romans 5, 8 says we were sinners. Romans 5, 10 says we were enemies of God. But God had grace. And we're saved by His grace. Put yourself in God's position. Try to do that with me for just a minute. Put yourself in God's position. Think about your own children. Your son or your daughter is the only hope of saving mankind. You have to go to this child and you say, I'm going to send you into a world into the same people that have rejected me, that have scorned me. They've been willingly disobedient to truth and all that I've instructed them to do so that man can live a fulfilled life. You're going to have to give up the luxuries of home. You're going to have to become poor. And when you get there and tell them who you are, they're going to spit on you, despise you, curse you, be hostile to you, reject you. And oh, by the way, they'll eventually crucify you and nail you to a cross like a common criminal. But because I love them so much, this is the only way to save mankind. I'm going to give you to the world. Put yourself in that position. I can't imagine the the heart that God had to even get to that place. Because, see, I have only one daughter, and, and I'm human. I, I wouldn't give her life for any one of you. But that's the kind of love that God had for us. Not only saved by grace, but we're saved through faith. And there's been lots of discussion, and I read, or I read this week 
both sides of the aisle on this conversation about where this faith comes from. But, but I want you to look at something with me very closely. The Bible tells us very clearly that we're spiritually dead. And again, when I think about something that's dead, that's something that's dead has no ability within itself to do anything. So I want you to read this passage of Scripture with me one more time. Very closely. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. And this is the controversy. Is, is the not of yourself being saved? Is the not of yourself by grace? Is the not of yourself through faith? I think it's all three. We don't have the grace. We, we can't be saved on our own. And we can't muster up the faith on our own. All of it's a gift from God. I don't know where the argument really is. If we're dead, we're dead. It's all through faith. And somehow there's still those who believe that those without faith will somehow in the end be alright because God is such a God of grace. But here's, here's, here's my stand on where this faith comes from. I believe it goes back to say that it's, it's the pursuing of God. It's the, the beginning of a new pursuit. And God sees me lost in my sin, sees me dead in my trespasses. He said, whosoever will. And he begins that pursuit with me, maybe through a, a conversation with someone who knocks on my door to tell me about Jesus, or, or a neighborhood friend, or a pastor that preaches a, a sermon, and he begins to place that faith within my heart. And then I see somebody like Tim Tebow on TV with John 3.16 all over his face, or and it's all in the stands because most of them don't know what it means, but... They like Tim Tebow, and he's got it on his head. That makes it cool. So now we have 90-some million people in one day Google John 3.16. And God begins to place that faith within my heart so I can respond to His grace. Another gift. I didn't have any power within myself to muster up that faith. It's not a qualification as being chosen to receive the gift of grace. It's not something that God looks down and says, okay, he has faith, I'm going to choose him. No. That faith comes from God just like the grace does. He begins to build that faith within me until I get to a place where then I can either accept his will in my life or I can reject his will in my life. That's the part of the choosing. The whosoever will come of John 3.16. Suppose you hand me a gift certificate for a nice steak dinner at Burns Steakhouse. Let's go. I promise you I'm going to take it. But you know, I've gotten to know you a little bit and we've built some relationships. And I would probably take that certificate from you in all confidence and go to Burns Steakhouse and cash that baby in. But you know, if I was walking down the street and met somebody that I didn't know, and they walked up to me and said, hey, I got a certificate for a free Burns Steakhouse, 
I would be very, very skeptical of the authenticity of that certificate. That's a picture of God wooing me and giving me the faith to accept his gift of grace. He begins that, like I said, by showing us things and, and putting people in our life and allowing us to see passages of Scripture. And this is a very good one here. John twenty thirty one says this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He helps us to, to believe that and to, earn, to, to muster up that faith by Scripture that comes our way. Sometimes it's, as Romans says, through the very creation of, of God, the very natural creation of God, that He helps people to have the faith. But without God first initiating and pursuing us, we don't even have the faith to accept that grace. But it's salvation by God's grace and through faith. And not saved of ourselves. Not saved of ourselves. We stand imperfect, corrupted, no ability on our own. But you know what? I'm so thankful. God's not looking for me to impress Him. I can't do enough good work to earn my salvation. You see, He doesn't really need me to do work to earn my salvation. We get notions in our head sometimes, though, and I think sometimes we convey that by the way we live our life and talk to non-believers, and they get the, the sense that maybe they're just not good enough be a Christian. Maybe they're not worthy enough, but we can't go off to some exotic religious place and, and get close enough to God to earn salvation. We can't fast long enough to earn salvation. We can't pray long enough to earn salvation. We can't go on a far enough mission trip to a foreign country to earn salvation. We just have to come by faith. Believe in what he said. You see, we can only believe what's been put into our path to believe. Think about that just in our natural course of education. If no one ever told you that 2 plus 2 is 4, you wouldn't believe that 2 plus 2 is 4. You would have no concept that 2 plus 2 is 4. But as a very early child, you know, we, we begin to instill those things in the children's lives. And they begin to get those concepts just by being around us. And that's what God does. He's everywhere. And we begin to see God's nature. We begin to see Scripture. And we begin to see God living through other people's life. And we go, wow. Many atheists have come to faith in Christ because they've tried to prove the non-existence of Christ. And the more they search and the more they find, the more that God begins to reveal truth to them. And then the faith begins to build in their life. That faith. We're saved as a gift of God. Letter D in your notes. Not of works. He begins to, the apostle continues to describe the characteristics of salvation. And this attribute is positive. It's a gift. Because most of us, if we had to work our way to salvation, or all of us, we can never reach that mark of perfection. It had to be through the death of God's Son that He came and He gave. 
It's not of ourselves. We, we all like presents. I've been picking on Howard in his trailer. You know, I don't have a trailer right now. And Howard has a really nice trailer. But you know, I have to... If I need to haul something... My wife's just shaking her head. If, if I need to haul something or move something, you know, in the state that I'm in right now, I have to go borrow a trailer. If I didn't have any need for a trailer and someone wanted to give me a trailer, there would be no reason for me to take it. But I've had a trailer. I've experienced what it's like to, to use one and to have the uh, ability to, to have unlimited access to it and to know that if I need it, it's just there. And, and I would understand the importance of having a trailer and I would receive the gift of that trailer. But until God burns in my heart that I, I need salvation, there would be no reason for Him to to show himself to someone who would not accept the gift. So God begins to work and he begins to, to churn and pursue and to, to cultivate and, and sometimes even put us in positions to have a need. We begin to see, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit, the good works of other Christians and you go I could, I could use some of that or we see someone going through a difficult time and as a lost person they might go I, I wish I could have that kind of approach on life when difficult times hit God uses those things to bring us to realization that we could use that gift and when he extends it many will receive it not again on anything on our own, but because He freely gives it. There are many, many reasons why salvation must be a free gift. I'm going to give you a few of those. Man cannot make God owe him. You see, the wages of sin is death. We are the ones that owe God. Romans 4, 4 tells us that a man who works puts his employer in debt for his services. And we can never do enough to ever repay what God has given us. We, we can never put God in debt to ourselves. We can never bring perfection to God. God God is the standard. And we've all heard this argument. There are no absolutes. Well, I'm here to tell you there are some absolutes. And God is the one who sets those absolutes. And they're clearly printed out in His Word. And God is the one who makes the line of perfection. I don't have that ability. Because you see, if it, if it was up to me and you, you would have a different idea of what perfection is. And I might paint the line here and you would paint it here and some would meet your line and not this one. And, and we would really mislead people trying to help them understand what perfection is. But God sets that standard, and He knows we can't reach it, so He had to send a perfect sacrifice. We can't make God love us. You see, because as we talked about last week, it's the nature of a dog to bark, and some of you learned that cows meow. I hope you've 
blown differently through the week. But we can't make God love us. It's just His nature to love us. So He loves us anyway. So when we try to earn that love, we don't do anything but just spit in the face of God who is already loving us, and we're actually just denying the love that He's trying to show. Listen to Titus 3, 4-7. through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's all because of Him. And if salvation was earned by the law and by works, we would never really experience the perfect love of God. Because God wouldn't save us because of His love. He would save us because we finally reached the mark. Romans is very clear that we will all fall short of that mark. Salvation is a gift, not of works. And here's the reason why. So that none of us can boast. See, I don't have anything to, to brag about. The things that I can talk about would only let you know just how short I do fall of reaching that perfect love. It's to prevent man from boasting. 1 Corinthians one thirty one says this. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's because of what he's done. The honor and glory, and we sang about that this morning, are due his name. Not to be shared by anybody else. And, and so if we could work to earn our salvation, we could say, well, we did this, and we got to this point, and we earned this merit. And this person gave me credit for this, and God would never receive the glory. But that's not how it works. How small we are compared to His glorious love. Romans 3.27 says this, Then what becomes of our boasting? If we decide we're going to boast, what becomes of it? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. By law of faith. Throw out all the boasting. come to a place in our life where we realize that we don't have any other hope but to put our trust in the Lord. I like this. Paul talks about us being dead in trespasses and raised up in verses 5 and 6. Raised up together made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But you know many times God has to bring us low before he can raise us up. He has to bring us low before he can raise us up. That's when we begin to see others around us who understand and have lived that life and we see how they've gotten through those difficult situations and maybe someone shares a passage of scripture with us and our faith begins to grow and when God knocks on a door then we're open. The lost person is open to receive the grace that God gives because God has grown the faith before he ever offered the grace. 
He doesn't keep us low. But for many of us, that's how salvation begins. Think about it like this. What's the first thing you do if you're going to build a house and you want it to last very long? You dig a hole first. You go low before you go up. You can build one right on the ground. The Bible even tells you what will happen to it. Or if you don't believe that, you can go do it and watch it fall down in just a few months or weeks or first time the wind blows or you get a good heavy rain and it washes out the sand up from underneath it. But the foundation has to be built first. And depending on how long and how well you want that house to stand, the better you're going to build that foundation. My Bible tells me that if my foundation is built in the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And my hope is secured by the sealing of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1. And I can expect my heavenly home to last forever. Again, it's not because of anything that I've done, but it's because of the perfect work of Jesus Christ. The perfect work. Number two in your notes. You're God's workmanship. God's workmanship. He knew all along what he was going to do. He knew when he had to bring you low to, to get you to receive him as Savior. He knew that when he brought you up and started mustering that faith within you and he gave you that gift and you had accepted he already knew before the foundation of the world his purpose for your life. You become his workmanship. That word there is a, a picture of uh, an artist or that makes a, a, a canvas come alive. And God begins to paint your life. He begins to give you a little picture of what he wants you to be. The canvas. You know, my mother-in-law has gotten into drawing some art. And, and I was watching her the other day. And she had a book laying there. And I thumbed through it just a little bit. And I thought, well, I think it's something I get interested in. I can't sit still long enough to do that. But it, it's really neat. And artists many times will start a painting on a canvas. And in the back of their mind, they know what that painting, they, they, they know what it needs to look like. But differently than me, they can see in that canvas and they can see that if I want that to turn out and really look like trees and to stand out, I have to do this in steps and processes. And I'm going to have to paint this canvas. And when it first starts, it looks a mess. And then as they go back and it's dried a little bit and they add a little bit to it, they put a layer over here, a texture up here, and it begins to take shape. And before you know it, you can really start to see clarity in a true artist's picture. That's the picture that Paul's talking about here. A masterpiece. Not just paint thrown on a wall and hope that it'll just run out and, and create something that'll be worthwhile. A masterpiece. Something that's planned ahead. God knew all along where he, where he wanted you to be and what he wanted you to do. And he gifted you to do those things. It means that uh, when a man believes in Christ, 
and God creates him in Christ that he creates him he quickens that spirit he makes it alive he's born again spiritually and God begins to paint the canvas of, of the work that that person will do as a newborn believer Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and listen to what he said Jesus answered Nicodemus and said this truly truly I say to you unless one is born again cannot see the kingdom of God Nicodemus responded well how are you going to do that I go back into the womb again to be born again Jesus said no 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 truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of spirit is spirit we have to be quickened by the spirit of God and raised up in Christ Jesus it means that God actually plants places his divine nature in the heart of the believer We've already been talking about the nature of God. God's nature is love, grace, mercy. Does that mean you're going to get all of that one time and be able to live that out? No. Because we're going to become a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. He's going to begin to work and create that masterpiece. God's workmanship. So that We can be created to do good works. And I missed letter A. Created in Christ Jesus. We're, we're created in Christ Jesus. The reason we are is so that we can do good works. We can't do it on our own. I don't have the nature within me to love you like God wants me to love you. I don't have the nature within me to be graceful the way that God wants me to be graceful. Merciful the way that he wants me to, to show mercy. He begins to do that work in my life. Workmanship. God's work of art. And that's the evidence of salvation in my life. If there's no change in my behavior, I need to go back and check up and see if I've really been born again. Good works. Doing good works is not an option for the believer. It becomes the very nature of the believer. You see, when I read that, there's no there's no question. It's a statement. It's a fact of truth. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. It's not an option. So if I'm not doing those things, I need to do a checkup to see if I'm really where God wants me to be. This is just a little um, thing that I found, and I don't even know where I found it. But it begins right there in us God already knew even before this stage he places us in the family he wants us to be in and those families aren't perfect but God knows the life that we're going to live and he ordains us to walk in those good work, works what does that word walk mean just the character of our life how we live our life 
I was talking to a friend of mine. I shared a little bit about this on Wednesday night. There are really two kinds of works that we do. General works, which every Christian should do. We, we have the nature of Christ within us. We, we all will love and have grace and mercy if we're following the path that God wants for us. And then there are specialized works based on the gifts that God gives us. Every one of us will have at least one spiritual gift when we're born again. We begin to nurture that gift and God begins to, to work through that gift in our life and we begin to understand what that gift is and there are specialized works that we can do that God causes us to do. Not all will be teachers. Not all will be prophets. The Bible tells us that there are some things that God picks you out to do that I can't do. He has me to do that you can't do. And I was talking to a, a man this week who really has a gift of evangelism. But you know what opens up the doors of evangelism? Are those general gifts that I just talked about. It's how they've loved someone in their neighborhood. It's how they've shown grace and mercy and how they've lived their life. And, and they've seen all this kind of stuff work out in their life. And he was telling me about his neighbor. His neighbor had become ill and began to lose some of his uh, capabilities of remembering and reasoning. And uh, His neighbor called him one day. And he said, I need to talk to you. He said, I'm 85 years old. I'm getting older. I've been getting things ready. But I don't know God. I know about God. He went on to tell him that I went to Sunday school when I was a young child and got away from church and and I've realized that I don't know God. You see, there's a very good illustration of God placing this man next door to a believer so that looking at the life of that believer, he can begin to instill some faith into a man who had never had any relationship with the church or Christians throughout his adult life. God's still wooing this 85-year-old man. Begins to place things in his life like a neighbor who loves him, cares for him, and shares just a little bit here and there about what God's done in his life. And who does he call when things get rough? And he knows that there's something missing in his life. So he calls him up and he says, I'm dying. And I don't know God. Would you come over and talk to me? So he went next door and talked to a man that he had lived out some good works in front of and led an 85-year-old man to Christ. On the edge of slipping off into eternity without knowing Jesus. And God still showed his grace and his love mercy by allowing him to muster up enough faith by seeing things in this man's life that he's got something that I don't have maybe that's what's missing in my life and he came to faith 
in Jesus Christ. What about us? Are we, as Matthew 5.16 saying, letting our light shine before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven? See, it's not for us to, to have something to brag about. But when they see us living out the Christian life, that's the thing that draws them to relationship. That's what God uses. How many of those 90 million plus people that Googled John 3.16 was at a, just a start, just a flicker in a dead log that God began to use help them to think about things of faith and use to bring them to a saving life. How many? We'll never know. We never know. But I like what Francis Chan said here. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. Because you see, if we can... If I can mow your grass and fix your air conditioner, big deal, the lost man can do that. And I can succeed in doing those things, but if I never share Christ with you, I've succeeded in things that don't really matter. Our greatest fear should not be a failure. And I think that's probably one of our greatest fears. We're afraid that what we do is not going to be good enough to, to impress somebody enough to receive Christ. That's not our job. Our responsibility is to let our light shine so before men they might see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Colossians 1.10 says this, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. It's not good works that earns our salvation, but it's salvation that should produce good works. What are we going to do? I hope we walk in them. I hope that we help people understand by the way he's, that they see our life, that there's something different about our life. Because I promise they're watching. Here's a little checkup, I guess you might call it a summary of progression that I found that, that really fits pretty good for what we're talking about this morning. Sometimes we feel like we're not adequate. We feel like we have things in our life we're just like Moses. Well, I can't speak very well. I'm not, I can't be a spokesperson for you. But listen to this. An attitude of gratitude for just what God has done in our life and who He's made us to be is enough to get started. So that's the first step. I thank the Lord for how He made me. I'm just thankful for who I am. And God, I love me enough to know that you love me and because of that, I'm going to get started. And I accept God's appointed work for my life as the best thing for me in all concern. I might not see the end result and I'm probably not going to see the end result, but, but God, this is where you called me to be today. So today I'm going to do what I know what you called me to do. And tomorrow will be a new day. 
And if that changes, I'm going to be willing to accept those appointed works for my life. And I believe that God will empower me to carry them out. We can look at the life of Joseph and even Joshua and see that progression in their life. I can't imagine that when Joseph first went out into the field and his brothers put him in the pit, that he had much optimism that he would ever rule the nation. But God had a plan. The next one is, I therefore just discipline myself to stay close to God and to focus on his good works. I'm going to stay focused. God, I know this is what you want me to do, so I'm going to stay focused on what, you, what you're going to do in my life. And the last one is, is I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to be thankful. God, if it's just if it's just meeting the man next door and that's all I ever do, I'm going to be thankful for what you chose to do through my life. We're not all going to be Billy Graham's. You know, when I really look at his life and some of the things that he dealt with, I don't know that I would want to be Billy Graham. But God chooses to work through whom He chooses to work and do the things that He chooses to do because of the gifts that He gives us. And we still need to be telling people that hell's still hot. Heaven is real. Sin is still wrong. The Bible's God's word and Jesus is the only way to salvation. And we'll do that many times through the good works that God has ordained for us to do. Will we be faithful? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank